This is the Rundown. The rundown. The rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass. Sarah Cazell dancing in the update booth. I always wonder... If you're even like listening to the show, if you're just dancing to your own music. <laughs> oh, wait, are we doing a show right no, now? No, 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 we're not. Who are you? Nah, it's, just, it's not really important. It's not a big deal. Um, no, I just, I never know if you're just kind of in your own world in there and we just happen, like the world's going on around you. I mean, sometimes that can be true. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, a, that's a good answer. Yeah. Uh, all right, that was a great update. Thank you, Sarah. You were so welcome. Like it caught everybody up. Yeah, that was the point. Okay. Well, <laughs> good talk. Okay, okay bye. <laughs> See ya. Uh, yeah, we got lots to get into tonight. We are in that stretch where, uh, I mean, look, March, <laughs> last year notwithstanding, March, I would say, is certainly one of the top two months of the sports calendar. And uh, we're seeing why right now. You got the NBA in full swing, NHL in full swing. You got Cactus League action, D-backs, Dodgers tonight, uh, March Madness. We'll get into what uh, happened with ASU. But uh, NFL, got some names starting to trickle out there that could be available and I'm just going to look at the receiver position for now because there's been three names kind of floating around this afternoon as potentially available to a team like the Cardinals and one of them and I think most people would most Cardinals fans would all jump on this yeah maybe not actually uh the the names are Emmanuel Sanders not going to be back in New Orleans John Brown, former Cardinal, not going to be back with Buffalo. And Keel Harry is still a Patriot, but it sounds like they are at least willing to listen to trade offers for Nikhil. I remember doing the draft coverage that season. What was that? Two years ago now. It was Kyler's. It was Kyler Murray draft night. And the Cardinals, of course, picking right at the start of the second round. We're doing the coverage through the end of the first round. We were at Four Peaks in, uh, in Tempe, wrapping it up. Wolf had been up for like three consecutive days. Uh, Dave Burns was there. Gambo was there. And we were all kind of like, at least me, having gone to ASU, kind of like, is, is Nikhil Harry going to slip to the start of the second round? We'll see. I mean, I know that they wanted Byron Murphy and ultimately probably would have taken Byron Murphy over Nikhil anyway. I get that. But... Then the Patriots go out and take Nikhil, and we're like, all right, well, I guess never so much for that. And now he's going to go play with Tom Brady. But uh, here we are now, a couple years later, and it hasn't gone well for Nikhil in New England. It hasn't really gone well for anybody in New England the last two seasons. Uh, that's not Nikhil's fault. He had bad timing. But, you know, he also hasn't delivered the way um, a lot of people believed he would in the NFL. Look, honestly, I mean, it's not like I've been covering ASU for decades and decades, but in my time covering ASU, he certainly looked like the the most NFL-ready receiver they've had until Brandon Ayuk this past, uh, you know, I passed NFL season, so two years ago when Ayuk was still at ASU. But, um, but yeah, Nikhil has not. He's probably in a position where just changing teams is the best thing for him. And would the Cardinals be interested? I, I heard Gambo, I heard Burns and Gambo talking about it earlier. Gambo said no way. So, you know, we'll see. But um, it's it's at least something to think about because... In the draft, it would it would have been, do you want Byron Murphy or Nikhil Harry? Now you don't have to give up Byron Murphy to get Nikhil Harry. You can just have them both. But the, that's not even the name to me that, that stands out. Emmanuel Sanders is the name that stands out because when you look at what the Cardinals specifically need, I feel like you know what you're getting with him more than a lot of these names we've been hearing. Odell Beckham Jr., 
absolute beast when he's on top of his game and on the field and not arguing with the quarterback and not getting in a fight with the kicking net and all that stuff, but just has not been consistent at all over the last few years, whereas Emmanuel Sanders clearly does not have the upside of, a, of an Odell Beckham Jr., but he also doesn't carry that cost. Uh, I don't think the situation's nearly as volatile. And to me, if you're the Cardinals looking to plug in a number two receiver that you can just depend on behind DeAndre Hopkins, you've got your upside guy who who <laughs> doesn't have a lot of swings. Hopkins is just always great. You just need a steady, reliable number two receiver. And Emmanuel Sanders throughout his career has shown he can he can be that while playing with you know, with a, a few really good quarterbacks, but also some, some not not all that impressive uh, names on the the list of people that have thrown Emmanuel Sanders the uh, the football in the NFL. Look, I remember San Francisco when he was there for ten games in twenty nineteen, and he was he was a, a huge part of that offense. And that's tough for receivers stepping in in the second half of the season on a new team and making an impact. So I don't know. Look, if it's not Emmanuel Sanders, that's fine. But I want it to be somebody that is relatively inexpensive and is reliable like he is. Now, last year with New Orleans, 14 games, 726 yards, five touchdowns. Again, that's his first year with a team, and they were bouncing all over the place with quarterbacks because Drew Brees was hurt. This would be his first year with the Cardinals if he was here too. So, I mean, we're not looking at a guy that's going to go out there and put up 1,400 yards, although he did do that in 2014, and score 15 touchdowns. But obviously receiver is a, a need for the Cardinals. And as everybody's been saying, there's going to be some names out there. Malcolm Butler, if you're looking in, in the secondary, he's out there. There's going to be names. It's just a matter of how Steve Kime can fit these pieces underneath the salary cap. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Well, we could start the reaction with ASU basketball in a season that has been all sorts of frustrating if you're a Sun Devil. In a season that a lot of us, at least in terms of the regular season, we were ready for it to end, I don't know, like around February 17th, if not uh, after that lost USC, if not earlier. Just get to the Pac-12 tournament at that point because with all the games ASU missed and the games that they lost, there's no way that team is making the tournament, the NCAA tournament, without winning the Pac-12 tournament. So as much as these makeup games against Washington, Washington State, and, and Utah, and Colorado, I'm sure they all had value to Bobby Hurley and his players to, to kind of get back into some sort of rhythm after you know, that stretch there, basically a month and a half where every game was up in the air, if they were even going to get to play it or not. I'm sure it had value to them, but those games didn't have a whole lot of value to the fans because you, even if you ran the table there, you weren't making the tournament. And even if you lost out, you still have the Pac-12 tournament to try and get that automatic bid. Well, the Pac-12 tournament starts today. ASU plays Washington State. They do it without Josh Christopher. They do it without Marcus Bagley. They were losing with just over a minute left, but they do win. So ASU will advance to play Oregon tomorrow. 64-59 the final today from Vegas. So the Sun Devils, the eighth seed in the tournament, will get number one Oregon. And uh, if they win that, they would play the winner of Oregon State UCLA on Friday. But let's not get ahead of ourselves here. And again, it's it, I can't remember a time where it's been this clear cut for ASU in recent memory where it was like they either win the Pac-12 tournament and they get in or they don't and they're out. <laughs> Most years under Bobby Hurley, they've been right on the bubble. 
they're not on the bubble this year. They this was their eleventh win of the season, eleven and thirteen. So yeah, you, you're going to have to win out, and uh, Oregon's going to be a huge test certainly tomorrow. Uh, the NBA is back at it tonight. Just a couple games tonight. The Suns aren't going to play until tomorrow. They'll be in Portland to take on the Trailblazers. Uh, James Jones, GM, on with Burns and Gambo this afternoon, and they, of course, asked him the question on everybody's mind. Look, Devin Booker, last time we saw him, he was getting run into by Kent Bazemore in the Golden State game, and we're all wondering, is it a knee injury? Monty Williams made sure to reference multiple occasions after that game. Yeah, he he hurt his quad, and then he didn't play in the All-Star game with a knee injury. And look, he shouldn't have played in the All-Star game. As much as we all wanted him to get in, I'm not risking Devin Booker's health if he's banged up at all in the All-Star game when the Phoenix Suns are trying to make the playoffs for the first time in a decade. And they're not just trying to make the playoffs, they're trying to win some games. But now the regular season's about to resume, so James Jones was asked, what's the uh, what's the status here of Devin Booker? Devin should be fine. You know, he had a good, good couple of days here, had a good day-to-day before the team took off to Portland, so... I mean, I'd expect him to be ready to rock tomorrow. And, you know, he, he is, as well as the other guys, they, they've enjoyed this break, just trying to get a little bit healthier and, and, and get set for the second half of the season. Yeah, we'll hear a little bit more from, uh, from James Jones coming up as we look ahead to the second half of the season. The Suns, 24-11, second-best record in the NBA behind only Utah. Um, it's only the regular season, but we are basically at the halfway point. You know, after after tomorrow's game, the Suns will be exactly halfway through their season. And the only team ahead of them is a team I think they could beat in the best of seven. Not like I think it would be easy. I do think Utah's kind of getting overlooked by a lot of people. But if you're telling me the Suns are playing the Jazz in the best of seven tomorrow, I would prefer that to Suns-Clippers in a best of seven. But big picture, I'm just happy we are angling towards Suns anybody in a best of seven because it has been a long time. It has been since Ron Artest was putting back missed shots since the last time the Suns were in a playoff series. I think we're, we're all ready. Uh, D-backs in Glendale tonight. In fact, Clayton Kershaw is on the mound right now. And D-backs are up one nothing in the top of the first, unless I'm somehow looking at a replay. Looks like they're up one nothing top of the first. So D-backs Dodgers tonight from uh, Camelback Ranch. And hockey, Coyotes and Avalanche from Colorado. Second game of this two-game series between these two teams. Coyotes won the first one on Monday. They lost Darcy Kemper in that game. Colorado gets Nathan McKinnon back tonight. And Nathan McKinnon, I'm trying to come up with the NBA equivalent. Giannis, maybe. Maybe right there in that range. He's um, an MVP candidate every year. So getting him back is going gonna, gonna to help Colorado. It's going to be a challenge for the Coyotes as they uh, are obviously going to have to do some juggling at the goaltending position going forward. All right, we come back. We're going to get back into the NFL, specifically the Cardinals, and what's going to happen in their secondary. I mentioned Malcolm Butler is available. Patrick Peterson coming back. And, you know, if he doesn't, what's he looking for in a potential new team? He gave us some insight on that. We'll discuss it next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Oh, we keep hearing about big names that are going to be available this offseason in the NFL, and we're already hearing some of them today. Patrick Peterson is going to be one of them. That's, uh, that's, that's been a question for Cardinals fans, I would say, since about the last, 
uh, even the last month of the season when they were still in the playoff race. You know, is this is this Patrick Peterson's last season with the Cardinals? Uh, I mean, look, this offseason, I think we've been looking at for a couple years, really, with Patrick Peterson, and we have seen his we've seen his caliber of play drop off, certainly, but um, still better than most of the corners out there. Relative to the Patrick Peterson that was just shutting down the entire league in 2016, you know, that era? Okay, no, he's not as good as that guy. Still pretty decent, but how much are you willing to pay him? And if he doesn't end up here, where exactly is he going to go? Uh, Peter Schrager the other day said the best fit for Patrick Peterson is still wearing red, just not Cardinals red. I think the perfect fit for Patrick Peterson is the Kansas City Chiefs. Reason number one, the Chiefs are always aggressive and always looking to add top veteran free agent talent. Over the years, whether it's been Tyron Matthew or Le'Veon Bell last year midseason or Sammy Watkins a few years back when they were still, you know, loaded at wide receiver at the time with other guys. The Chiefs, they never just say we're good. They always want to add, add, and add. And I look at this team and say, is there too many stars on it? No, because they find a way to make it work. Andy Reid is the ultimate players coach and will find a way to make sure everyone feels the love and feels they are getting their propers. Patrick Peterson, again, like I said, one of the best cornerbacks of the last 20 years in all of football, has been that elite player. Is his best football behind him? I don't know. I can't say that. But I will say this. There is still some good football left. The Kansas City Chiefs have always found a way to take top talents, harness them, bring them together, and add them to that team. Yeah, look, that's that's the key, right? Is he is he the same guy that he was in prime Patrick Peterson, one of the best cover corners I've ever seen play? No, he's not that guy. But he could still be good. So like I said, it just comes down to how much are you willing to pay him. If you're telling me they lose Patrick Peterson because he wants, you know, whatever, X amount of dollars and uh, and they can get Malcolm Butler for 60% of that or whatever, 70%, okay, that's fine. I, you know, I don't, I don't have the emotional ties to Patrick Peterson that I do to Larry Fitzgerald. Or honestly, that I had to Patrick Peterson a couple years ago. It's not just that his play has dropped off a little bit. You know, there was the... It was the okay? Do you want out of here? Are you are you are you in? Now you're getting suspended at the start of uh, the 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 Cliff Kingsbury Kyler Murray era. It's it, I still would like Patrick Peterson to stick around. I mean, he for the longest time there for a very long time was an iconic Arizona Cardinal. He just wasn't Larry Fitzgerald. But they're in a position where they obviously can't overpay for him, and other teams might be able to. Peter Schrager saying Kansas City. Sean O'Hara said, uh, what about Tampa Bay? I mean, it's not hard to find the Patrick Peterson ties on these two teams. you got Tyron Matthew in Kansas City. You've got, of course, Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay. But today we got to hear from Patrick Peterson himself on his All Things Covered podcast, and he was talking about what exactly he's going to be looking for when he's choosing a team. As far as considered playing for, you know, you know, I, mean, I consider playing for, yeah, I consider playing for anybody that have, like Nick said, a quarterback. You know, if you don't have a quarterback, you know, it's going to be pretty difficult on trying to win a football game. So you know, whoever has a, a quarterback that can spin the rock and um, also collect enough wins to get in the playoffs, that gives it, give us a shot to, you know, win it all. Yeah, look, Patrick Peterson has been here through some some good times at the Cardinals, but he's also been here 
through some lean years, and those lean years were, in a lot of ways, because they just didn't have that quarterback. You know, I mean, <laughs> he was here for the Josh Rosen year, and uh, Sam Bradford. I mean, that was all one magical season. He was here for that, and that was when he wanted out of here. Um, if you're just looking at teams that fit the bill of what he's talking about, though, quarterback who can throw and get his team to the playoffs. I mean, that is the Cardinals now. Kyler Murray is a playoff caliber quarterback. I. He was a playoff-caliber quarterback to me last season. Fringe, obviously, because they missed the playoffs and he was the quarterback. I get that. But that that starts to go down the path of you can't blame everything or give all the credit to the quarterback when you have an entire football team uh, around him either making plays or making mistakes. Kyler Murray's a playoff-caliber quarterback, and he should be better this year. But... You know, if Patrick Peterson ends up going to Tampa Bay or Kansas City or, you know, wherever, I know Green Bay, there was some talk they were interested in him, although I don't know how much they could really pay him. Uh, that that seems to sort of, money seems to have been what hamstrung them in the J.J. The Watt sweepstakes. The, the thing with Patrick Peterson is I just, I feel like there's going to be enough of a market for him where the Sun, the, the Cardinals, yeah, the Suns aren't going to be able to keep him either, where the Cardinals aren't going to be able to keep him. And, um, then they got to scramble, I think, in, in that secondary. Because of all the players you could lose this offseason, he's the one you absolutely have to replace if you let him go. Yeah, I just really wanted to talk about the Phoenix Suns. That's that's where I was going. So um, let's let's get to the Suns now. They will open the second half of the season in Portland tomorrow, then back home for five straight against Indiana, Memphis, Minnesota, Minnesota, and the L.A. Lakers. Suns, 24-11, second-best record in the NBA. Played the clip for you earlier from the Burns and Gambo show. Suns GM James Jones on talking about how he expects Booker to be good to go for tomorrow. They also asked him about you know just sort of his evaluation, what he has seen so far this season, and are the young players prepared for the second half? I do. Um, you know, it, it works both ways. You know, we know that in the second half of the season, teams are going to start gunning for us, but we're going to start gunning for teams too. Uh, we're competitive just like every other team. Um, it's it's not a one-sided equation, and and so I, if you look at how our guys have responded, I'm confident that you know, given. You know, the, the challenges, the expectations that we placed on them, um, you know, they've responded. So I don't see a, a reason why they won't respond to the second half challenge. Yeah, and more from James Jones, what his particular goals are for the second half of the season. Because if you just, if you look at the first half of the season, which is great, especially here because we're so starved for the Suns to be good and they are now very good, but ultimately doesn't mean anything if you don't follow it up in the second half of the season in the playoffs. But if you look at the first half of the season, what more could the Suns really have done? Yes, they, I guess they could have gone 25-10 and 10 instead of 24-11. and 11. But as far as checking boxes for the first half of the season, they checked pretty much all of them, didn't they? So they asked James Jones, what are your goals now for the second half of the season? To keep the same focus. Um, we, went into the, the, we went into the All-Star break thinking one game at a time. Uh, continue to get better, execute, um, take care of the ball, you know, do the simple things and, and make winning plays. Um, you do the same thing in the second half of the season. You know, we've afforded ourselves a little cushion, um, you know, because we played so well in the first half. But everyone's focused on, you know, the playoffs now. And, you know, rotations will get tighter. Uh, guys will start playing heavier minutes. And you'll get some teams that make a, a big push. You'll get some teams that kind of take their foot off the gas. But, being that this is a unique year where 
you know, you have a play-in game, you have 10 teams vying for the playoffs, I expect the competition to be tougher than it has been in, in years past. Yeah, I said this last night. My expectations have, have pretty dramatically changed for this team. And, and this, you know, what I said last night it was more of a prediction than expectations. I think they're going to the Western Conference Finals. And I have, I have been, I have not been high on the Suns the last few years because they weren't winning any games. I mean, I, was, I think I was, uh, I was, I was taking a pretty logical approach when they're winning 21, 22 games. It's hard to get really hyped on them making a deep playoff run. But last year, very significant improvement. What they showed in the bubble, as I've said before, showed me a lot simply because they showed up to the bubble to play basketball when they had the least to play for of pretty much any of the teams there. And they weren't just like, okay, you know, whatever, we'll go through these motions. We're locked in a hotel and we don't have a chance at winning the championship. No, Monty Williams got them fired up. They played hard. They won every game. And that has carried over to this season. So... My expectation for this team is not that they're going to the Western Conference Finals, but I think they're going to do it. I just, I think they're going to, I don't think they can go through both LA teams. That's, that's the one thing. They, you know, my expectation at the start of the season was finishing the top six so that you're not in that play in round that James Jones was just talking about. But now it's like you're, you're number two in the West. You know, the Lakers to me are still the team to beat in a seven game series if they have LeBron and Anthony Davis. I'm not picking against the Lakers in that situation because you've got LeBron and you've got Anthony Davis, who's who when he's healthy is one of the most uncoverable players in the NBA. But I'll take my chances with the Suns in the seven game series against Utah. I'll take my chances against Denver. That's tough. That's a tough one. I like my chances against Portland or any of these other teams. Clippers, yeah, you know, probably fifty fifty. They're going to have to play a little, probably not even fifty fifty. They're probably going to have to play above their head to win that series. But I think, I think something magical could happen here in the coming months with this Suns team. And like I said last night, it's it's really unintentional, obviously, but kind of cool that it could coincide with more fans getting to come back to some of these games right as this team makes the playoffs for the first time in forever. That said, you know, my my worry if I was a Jazz fan would be that they're a really good team but they're maybe peaking too early. I mean, you could make a case that the Suns just won 16 out of 19. I would assume there's probably going to be a lull or two in the second half of the season. So a huge key, obviously everybody healthy. If they're not all healthy, then this any predictions like this go out the window. But if they stay healthy and they are able to sort of hit their stride, you know, in the weeks leading up to the uh, the, the start of the playoffs... I just think this team's going to win at least a playoff series. I do. And, and, and look, if they drop to, to six and they're playing the Lakers in the first round somehow, then, you know, okay, <laughs> then maybe not. But I think the way that they've been playing is it's not just encouraging. It's like, all right, it's, it, it raises the bar. And I don't think Monty Williams is going to let them lower the bar by feeling too good about themselves in the second half of the season. And honestly, I don't think he's going to have to really impose that on these guys because... Like I said last night, Chris Paul's done everything in this league except win a title. Devin Booker has done you know, he's amazing things over the, 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 the years of his career, but he's never been to the playoffs. So I don't think he's going to be comfortable with where they are midway through the season. So I just think when you have Booker and you have Paul and you have Monty Williams, those personalities coupled with the fact that none of them have accomplished what they want to accomplish yet, I don't think they're going to let the rest of the team start to feel too good about themselves and, and backslide. You know, I mean, there might be a couple games here or there, but I don't think we're going to see a meltdown in the second half mentally. 
And that's not even, you know, there are other guys on this team that obviously want to win too. I'm just saying that almost as, as like a as like a foolproof way to approach the second half. It's not like DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, you know, Cameron Payne, not like these guys aren't going to want to win on their own. But if there's any sort of like, oh yeah, you know, we're 24 and 11, we can we can coast against Minnesota or whatever. You know, okay, we're you know we're good. We 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 can maybe kind of not have our edge tonight on this Tuesday night against whoever Sacramento. I just don't think that trio at the top is going to allow that to happen very often, if if ever at all. All right, when we come back, we'll get back into the NFL, not the Cardinals directly, although. You know, potentially big move that would uh, would certainly impact the Cardinals in a good way. That's next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on ninety eight seven FM Arizona Sports Station. The rundown ninety eight seven FM Arizona's Sports Station. We're back, Luke Lipinski here with you, and I mean, I guess we have to at least. Give this story the respect that it's it's worth keeping an eye on. And when when the when the Russell Wilson stuff first came up, was that about a month ago? I just kind of rolled my eyes, like, all right, here's here's some manufactured drama. But obviously, the Seahawks are not going to be crazy enough to trade Russell Wilson. But it just kind of keeps building, and it hasn't gone away. And you know the the Dak Prescott deal made this case last night really hurts the Seahawks potentially if they have to trade Russell Wilson. Like if they have to move him and he only wants to go to Dallas, New Orleans, Chicago, or Vegas, well, the the one of those four teams that had a quarterback that they could get back in a trade where they would still be legitimate contenders was Dallas, right? I mean, if you if you I would not give up Russell Wilson for Dak Prescott, but if they if they just it, the situation got so bad where they had to move Russ and he'd only go to one of those four teams, I would certainly take Dak Prescott back over Mitch Trubisky, um, Jameis Winston, or Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr would be the second best option, but I think Dak's a better quarterback. Uh, But with Dak getting locked in in Dallas, Seattle, if they're really going to trade him, which I still don't think they are, but I would have put it at like 0% at the end of the season. Now I'd put it at like 25 maybe 30%. If they are going to trade him, they may have to get pretty uh, pretty creative. So Bill Barnwell, with, with that thought in mind, has a story up on ESPN Plus today looking at potential trades that, that you know maybe could get this done. And he goes through a bunch of different rules. And I'm not going to read all those to you. You can you certainly read the story on ESPN. There's um, just the, 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 the short of it is um, avoid taking on big money. Get him as far away from Seattle as possible. Um, don't ask for a whole lot less than than Houston's getting for Deshaun Watson, which is interesting because those are two quarterbacks in two very different stages of their career. So I don't know that you would get as much back for Russell Wilson as <laughs> as a normal team would for Deshaun Watson. I don't know what Houston's going to get back because they don't even seem to realize he wants out. So the first offer he puts up there doesn't involve... Dallas, Vegas, Chicago, or New Orleans. But it is it is a team that makes a lot of sense to me, and so I don't understand why Russell Wilson wouldn't want to go to this team. And I, I also kind of wonder, 
if we got to the point where Seattle's like, all right, look, you don't want to be here. We can't block for you. We're, we're, you know, let's just part ways now before this gets ugly and you leave next year or something. Let's, let's go our separate ways on a relatively high note. You won a Super Bowl. If we knew to run the ball from the goal line against the Patriots instead of throwing into to Malcolm Butler's chest, we would have won two Super Bowls. Like, okay, let's just let's let's go. We're gonna we're gonna move. We're gonna trade you, but we can't. It can't be to Chicago because we don't want Mitch Trubisky. We'd like to still be a respectable NFL team, and we can't. You know, we're, we're not going to get somebody from New Orleans, and and Vegas doesn't want to do the Derek Carr deal or whatever. Miami makes a lot of sense, don't they? To me, Miami makes the most sense. For Deshaun Watson. But again, Houston seems oblivious to the fact that he wants out. So offer number one from Bill Barnwell in his piece is the Seahawks get Tua. They get the number 18 and and 81st overall picks this year and a first rounder in 2022. So Miami's given up a ton. But Miami's getting Russell Wilson. That, at least on paper, is a trade that makes sense for both sides if we are living in a reality where the Seahawks have to trade Russell Wilson. Again, to me, if I'm Seattle, I'm not trading Russell Wilson. I'm just going to go out there and try and give him a better offensive line. But if we're looking at this through the lens of, no, Russell Wilson's getting traded, where do you move him? And Miami can give you a much better deal than Chicago can. And in a way, you know, this this... This helps jumpstart Seattle for the future. But if you're telling me Seattle's starting quarterback going into the 2021 season is Tua, don't you have to move Seattle down to the bottom of the division, towards the bottom of the division, as weird as that feels? You know how you develop these perceptions of teams, and it's like, I can't ever pick Seattle to drop past like second in the division? Well, that's because of Russell Wilson. You know, and then the Legion of Boom isn't there anymore. So if Seattle went into next season with Tua and the 18th and 81st overall pick in this draft and the first rounder in 2022, if that's if that were the case with the upgrade that the, the Cardinals have made on defense so far and the upgrades that the Rams have made, and I assume the 49ers are going to make some upgrades. I mean, they're making upgrades just simply by starting next season healthy. You'd have to drop Seattle towards the bottom of the division. I, I, just, I think you could go to Russell Wilson if you were the Seahawks and say, look, we can make a deal but it's with Miami. Because if I'm Russell Wilson looking around and saying, you know, Miami was pretty good last year. Brian Flores is a good coach. The Dolphins were 10-6 and last year with bouncing around quarterbacks, and you know they went to Tua, but he was really only good against the Cardinals, which, (laughs) yay, thanks, Tua. But, you know, other than that, if I'm Russell Wilson, I'm looking at Miami and saying, that's a better team than Chicago. I don't think Chicago's bad. They are with Trubisky at quarterback. But I, I do think you could talk, if, if it came down to that, I do think you could talk Russell Wilson into taking a deal to Miami. I mean, I'm not Russell Wilson, so I can't, I can't guarantee it. But not a lot of professional athletes are like, no, I'm not going to Miami. It's too wonderful there. Uh, the other ones, he, uh, he has the Seahawks getting Marcus Mariota in a three-way deal with the Raiders and Patriots. Um, he has the Seahawks getting Teddy Bridgewater among other pieces, in a deal with the Panthers. I don't really want Russell Wilson in the NFC, to be honest. I'd prefer he'd just ship him off to Miami or, or Vegas. And in the fourth offer, he has the Seahawks getting Sam Darnold. Yes, please. From a Cardinals perspective. Uh, the Broncos getting Russell Wilson. 
and the Bears getting Drew, Drew Locke, which, <laughs> yeah, that, that seems about right. Drew Locke seems uh, decent right now, and he'd go to Chicago and uh, probably be not as good. Another story ahead of free agency, which, by the way, starts in a week officially. What is it? Legal tampering starts on the 15th. Another story up uh, also on ESPN, actually. Perfect scheme fits for the top NFL free agents in 2021. This is by Matt Bowen. And he goes through, I believe this is 40 players he he looks through. (laughs) And the, the only reason I'm bringing this up is... I'll give you a couple just completely random examples. Let's go um, Cam Newton. Patriots last year, he says the best scheme fit for Cam Newton. You know, go to a team where the transition's not going to be as noticeable or take as long for you to get comfortable because you're you're slipping right into a scheme that fits for you. Best scheme fit for Cam Newton he has as uh, as Washington. Uh, For the Patriots... Is Ryan Fitzpatrick going to the Patriots? So the only reason that this story really caught my eye is I, is I wanted to look through and see, okay, well, you know, which which free agents does he have out there? They're like, okay, yeah, you know what? This guy would be a really good fit for the Cardinals. And uh, like Juju, he has going to the Jets. Will Fuller to Green Bay. Kenny Galladay. By the way, I would take Kenny Galladay here. Uh, is Kenny Galladay going to Baltimore? These aren't predictions. It's just, okay, what what... What team would be the best fit for the player? So I'm looking through and I'm like, okay, well, do I see the Cardinals anywhere? Like Bud Dupree, he is going to Seattle. Oh, okay, here's the Cardinals. And I'm going through and I'm like, okay, there's two Cardinals. There's two players he has that are free agents this offseason that he's like, these guys, these guys, their best fit would be with the Arizona Cardinals. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? It's, it's the NFL. Stuff's fun to look at. Let's see what exciting new names he links to the Cardinals. And he has Hassan Reddick and Kenyon Drake. <laughs> so, so that was exciting. Uh, look, it makes sense with Hassan Reddick, especially, right? I, if I'm Hassan Reddick, I am very hesitant to leave Arizona. The caveat being, this may be my one and only chance to get paid if the giants come along and offer me a ton of money and they're like hey 12 and a half sacks last year and five of them came against us yeah here here just take all of our money well i'm taking it it's the nfl nothing's guaranteed unless you're tom brady but if the money is anywhere close to whatever the cardinals could ultimately offer i mean hassan reddick has seen firsthand what it's like to not be in the right situation and it was here but it was a couple years ago now, in theory, he is in the right situation here because he just had 12 and a half sacks. So in that sense, if I'm Hassan Reddick, I need a team to come in and beat the Cardinals offer fairly significantly for me to want to leave. I wouldn't mind playing in a defense where I now know I can thrive. And oh, by the way, Chandler Jones is coming back and J.J. Watt is showing up. So defense or opposing offensive lines aren't even going to be able to look at me because they got their hands full with Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt. All right. Come back, and we're going to get into a little college basketball. The big dance is next week. Selection Sunday is in, like, four days. (laughs) Talk about it sneaking up on everybody. ASU is in the second round of the Pac-12 tournament. We will discuss this next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. 
Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you, joined by a, uh, I don't know, you won't tell me how you want to be introduced. Joe Heizenga, you have to turn your mic on. To, <laughs> you have to hit like nine buttons. This isn't news. I, I hit the two buttons. Okay. I, I think it might be a, a button that uh, Mr. Darge can no, Coming in here just in, insulting my no, producer. No, like not this. insulting. <sighs> it, just instructing. All right. I've known he's you. actually correct. No, don't take his side <laughs> against yourself. Don't do that. I, I, I didn't expect to have two uh, hosts all of a sudden. You're going to need to turn his mic off at some point. So just be ready to do whatever you just did. Uh, I've known Heizenga for a while. You are in news. You wouldn't give me a... I don't even know what you do over there. You're I, wandering around the newsroom now. I gave you a title. Ombudsman of the Rundown. No, I'm not you didn't like that, that title. But um, I'm going to try and say some nice stuff about you. I'm going to about you as well. You, uh, I've known you since college, which is what now? Gosh, since 04? Yeah. And um, so we're coming up on you know 18 years. And uh, you and I had a sports show way back when together. <laughs> you continue to talk the sports. I learned that that was not for me, but I still continue to watch and enjoy. If, and uh, you're good at this. If if you list, well, I appreciate that. If you if you if you saw our behind the scenes for our sports show in college, you would not have thought I was going to be the one still talking sports. I would have been the one to make it. Correct. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say that's that's uh, nice about you is yeah. you follow college basketball closer than than most people I know. Well, that's dangerous because I have not followed it super close this year. That was my first I, question. I do great when it comes to March Madness. So, yeah, I, I hate that because how many times have you won? I've I've won one of these, but you're in the way and you've won at least two of them. I am the defending champion since they didn't play it last year. Okay. I won it the year before, and I think I won it the year before that. But it's usually you and me coming down to the wire, and I believe I have been in the top three Every year for the last four years. That's ridiculous. Um, so, okay, that you kind of touched on my first question, but this college basketball season, it's been a running theme with a lot of the hosts over here. It's just kind of snuck by us. I mean, you've got these other sports going on that aren't necessarily always going on right now. Um, obviously, the Phoenix Suns are taking a lot of precedent. The Cardinals are in a very pivotal offseason. ASU was missing games almost every other game, but as far as like nationally, I mean, Duke's terrible, Kentucky's terrible. You said your your involvement isn't as high this year as normal. Like, what does that look like? Like, why am I? Part of it is due to the pandemic. It's just tough to get super into this when you know I love the Michigan Wolverines. I grew up in Ann Arbor, and they went on pause for almost three weeks, and. Big Sun Devils fan, obviously went to ASU, and they've hit pause a couple times this year, and then they've been underwhelming in a lot of games that they've played. So the teams that I'm attached to, um, one has done incredibly well when they have played, but they took a long pause. The other, underwhelming. So so that was tough, and just it's been stop-start, and there's not a dominant team in college basketball this year. There's three or four that are really good, and then everybody else. Um, give us a couple teams that you like. Well, this is really going to shock you. I, I like the top four teams oh, in good. college basketball. <laughs> no, I, they're a cut above everybody else this year. You've got Illinois in the Big Ten. I think they're better than anyone else in the Big Ten. They came out and you know took care of Michigan handily the other night. I like Michigan a lot. I think they're still a top five team. And then, obviously, you've got Gonzaga, who hasn't lost. Tough not to like a team that hasn't lost, even though they were tested against BYU last night. And Baylor out of the Big 12. Uh, I guess the other 
way to approach that is a lot of times you'll go into March Madness and in, in a normal year it'll be like, okay, yeah, there's a clear cut number one or there's these like 12 teams that could win and then nobody else or you're saying that it's really these four and then there's a pretty significant drop off to everybody else? Yeah, but I think there's some teams that'll still make some noise. I think, you know, there's going to be Cinderella's and what's crazy this year is what if a team shows up and has half their team test positive? They lose. Yeah, they're just out. Yeah. And what if that happens to one of the top teams? Are they going to say, oh, oh, oh we're going to hit pause? Or are they going to say, you lose? Obviously, if it happens to you know, Loyola Chicago, they're going to say, you lose. If it happens to Gonzaga... What do you do to that club? Because, again, they haven't lost. They certainly look like the favorite right now. They've looked like the favorite all year. You're going to tell the favorite you lose? They've looked like the favorite, to be fair, a few times over the last two decades. And, and they find a way to, to, to drop out. They have the same issue that they always have. They haven't played anybody in their conference who is really good, and that, to me, makes it tough to be a great team when... Let's say you're an A+, but when you play C or D-level competition every night, how do you really get the most out of yourself? You know, imagine if Alabama was playing, uh, you know, football, uh, what is it, not uh, not uh, SEC teams, but if they were playing, you know, Tennessee, like the, Chattanooga, like, like they the always division play. down, sure. Yeah. Every single game. Yeah. It, it's tough to be the best. It's better, I would argue, to play in a conference like the Big 12, like the Big 10, take a couple losses, understand and learn from those losses, you can grow more from a loss than just waylaying everybody else out there. Uh, I want to ask you a couple things about ASU. So ASU's had an extremely disappointing season. It's still going, though. I mean, if they win tomorrow and then they beat the winner of Oregon State and UCLA and then they win the championship on Saturday. In the I'll Pac-12, be out there. I might see them. There you go. Not in person, of course. No, <laughs> no, they will not let you anywhere near the arena. Um, if they if they go on a run in the Pac-12 tournament, they talent-wise should be an NCAA tournament team this season. Mm-hmm. But the only way they're going to get in is if they go on a, on a tear. And they're they got to win it. Yeah, and they're playing without Josh Christopher. They're playing without Marcus Bagley. Um, if they miss the tournament, how much as a as a Sun Devil fan do you read into this season when you're looking at Bobby Hurley or just the direction of the program? Not. You just chalk it up to a lost season, and you hope that they're better next year. It's disappointing, but... New season, new life. The um, have you seen this this uh, story? It's what is it? Overtime. I think it's overtime. Is what is what it's called. There's basically there's going to be. I've heard of it. Usually the, it's five minutes in college. Yeah, basketball. that's not it. No, no. Um, it's the uh, overtime high school basketball league where they are going to try and basically high schoolers. Yeah, well, sixteen to eighteen year olds. <laughs> thank you for. For for defining the most basic things, mm-hmm. your title should have been Captain Obvious when I introduced no, you. It's Ombudsman of the Rundown. Okay, yeah, that's a clunky name. We'll work on that. Um, these other leagues that are looking to start up, or like the G League, are you as a college basketball enthusiast? Are you concerned at all about the direction of the sport? Because if if you have a league like this overtime league that's popping up and saying, okay, you could go play for North Carolina, or you could just come here and we'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars to pay to play until you're ready for the NBA. So people are still going to watch college basketball. I'm still going to watch college basketball. It's obviously good for the kids who 
need to make money or who don't want to go to college and, you know, a school will find a way to make them eligible for a year to get them in before they can jump to the NBA. It's going to water down the product a little bit more, but people who love college basketball are going to root for the front of the jersey every single year, and they're not going to watch the G Leagues and you know, whatever overtime or, you know, what this concept is going to be called. They might tune in for a couple games to watch some of those kids play. But, I mean, would would you watch that day in, day out? I don't know that I would watch it day in, day out, but I think it would it would it could get to a point pretty quickly in college basketball where I'm only watching ASU. You know what I mean? Whereas sure. college football, I'll watch, or like certainly you get to the NFL, NBA, I'll, I'll watch any teams. But, I mean, if college basketball is going to be so diluted where some of the best players are playing in, in other leagues. I'm not watching Maryland, Iowa on a Tuesday. Football or basketball? Both, actually. I've, I've watched Iowa play football before. Because basketball, I would tell you, that still could be worth watching. You know, Maryland, Iowa football, you know, Big Ten football, yeah, kind of like the Pac-12 basketball. That's hurtful, but also true right now. Um, if if this does end up cutting into college basketball, I mean, I'm sure they don't want to see their best players go play in some other league. They really only have themselves to blame, don't they? I mean, college basketball, the NCAA has been so slow to adjust to a lot of a lot of evolution in the sports world. I feel like people don't do it until they're forced to. When their hand is forced, and they have to come up with a way to compensate or you know pay players call it what it is then they will find a way to do it and not a second before give us uh give us like one or two teams that you just hate in college basketball that like you just you hate you watch them okay <laughs> yeah jared uh you missed jared earlier today he's he's so I, broken I with you well that's that's fair. <laughs> that's fair you know i had plenty to say to him yesterday <laughs> yeah that's true that um, was... teams i hate in college basketball like i don't like the way they play it's just like they're going to get into the tournament and you're actively rooting against them. I mean, you know I'm this way with Duke. I've been this way since I was a kid. Yeah, and I like Duke. Yeah. And they may get in just because of their name this year, which would be unfortunate because they don't deserve to be there. Oh, gosh. A, a team that I... I nope. can't say there's a team stylistically that I can't stand, but obviously, you know, Michigan State, Ohio State, I, I no love lost there with those two teams. But, you know, I can't stand the teams that try to play the... 50 to 48 style game where you know they just want to drag the shot clock out not you know go Dribble. up and down the court yeah um here before we hit the break i do want to ask you this too because this has been a topic on the show before if you're u of a and you've been you've had your name dragged through the mud the last couple years and, and you know <laughs> whether you're quote guilty or not of a lot of the stuff that you've been accused of a lot of smoke there yeah if you are, I mean, Sean Miller's at the center of all of it, and I would contain Sean Miller hasn't really won you anything, and as much as I don't like U of A either, that was once a very premier program in, in college basketball. You could go out and get another coach that's better than Sean Miller, or at least as good, and he's not going to give you all these headaches. Could you? That, that's I don't know if I, you could now, but I think you could have. I understand them fighting to keep him right now, is if he hasn't been proven to have done anything, who do you go out and get if you're U of A? Are you saying specifically... Today, March 10th, 2021, in, in this insane climate? Because I've been saying this for two years. Like, why didn't they just go get somebody two years ago? Two years ago, I agree with you. Yeah. Now you've kind of dug your heels in and you're stuck. What a weird way to, to run your organization. All right. This was fun. Thanks. You're, you're what, welcome. What, ombudsman of the Rundown, Joe Heisenga? Yep. I'm oh. ready to talk sports cards next time. 
fantasy sports. You'll just bring in your own topics. No, I, I'm just offering okay. a plethora of things. Uh, it's less Praise work for me. for right. Jeff Darge, yeah. whatever you Jeff want. Jeff Darge has had to listen to this entire segment, and he's still back there. I apologize, Jeff. Oh, you, Je- you can wake up now. Jeff, what was your stat before we go to break? Uh, the last, how many days it's been since the Phoenix Suns have made the playoffs? Yep. Uh, how many days to the day since the Phoenix Suns were last in the playoffs when they were knocked out by Ron Artest's putback? Mm. Yeah. It has been exactly, let me pull up the number, 3,938 days. That's depressing. And it also kind of just feels like yesterday, <laughs> if you think about it. It really does. But if, I, everything feels like it's happening yesterday. We, The NBA... Uh, NBA first canceled the season like a year ago, like this week. A year ago tomorrow. Ins- yeah, that is insane to think about that it has been one year. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Uh, good stuff from Joe, who already left the studio. Jeff, thanks a lot. We'll come back. Hour number two of the show is next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Akchin Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you, Jeff Darge behind the glass. It is the reload. We will begin with ASU basketball knocking off Washington State. It was a nail biter. Most uh, most ASU really wins or losses. Just most ASU games this season have been this way. And um, obviously, the Sun Devils need to run the table in the Pac-12 tournament if they want to make March Madness and the big dance next week. This one came down to the wire. They had a couple chances to win it with about a minute left or at least take the lead. Remy Martin missed a couple free throws. Uh, had a nice steal. Set up Alonzo Verge on a two-on-one. Verge bobbled the ball. ASU still found a way to win. And those guys, Remy Martin and Verge, both came up with big plays down the stretch. I mean, Verge had 26 points in this game. Remy only had the six points. Shot two of ten. So if I told you before the game, especially with the way ASU season has gone... Remy Martin's going to shoot 2 of 10, only have 6 points. Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley aren't going to play. He probably would not have liked ASU's chances. I mean, I, I wouldn't have. But Verge really took over 26 points, 6 rebounds. Uh, Kamani Lawrence at 13 points. ASU beats Washington State. So the Sun Devils will continue on till tomorrow at least. 12.30 tip-off, round 2, quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament. They will get the number 1 seed, Oregon, if they can get past them, then they will get uh, the winner of Oregon State UCLA on Friday, and of course the championship is Saturday. Again, that's ASU's only way into the tournament is to to win out. It's close today, but they found out a, a way to do it, so they extend their season over to the NFL. More and more big names starting to hit the um, the, the the open market. As teams, and look, this was predicted. Steve Kime has talked about this. Every NFL expert, I feel like, has has forecasted this. So it's not a shock. There's going to be some big-name veteran players available at a discounted price because, you know, the lower salary cap and everything and, and just the, the financial pinch that has hit all of sports, really just, just hit everybody. Um, but it's it's not like the NFL is suffering money-wise, but they are losing money. And so that means, you know, it's, it's not going to be, it's obviously not going to be the Dak Prescotts of the world who, um, who don't get paid. It's going to be guys like Emmanuel Sanders. It's going to be out there. John Brown, 
Any of these names at receiver interest you? Nikhil Harry might be available via trade. Nikhil Harry being available via trade actually makes a lot of sense to me. I thought he was going to be somebody that was that was really going to be an impact player in the NFL, and he still could be. It's only been two seasons. But that's got to be so weird to be a dominant receiver in college. A dominant receiver in high school. I mean, he was the number one high school recruit at his position. Just happened that he always wanted to go to ASU, play high school football, obviously, uh, in, in the Valley. It's got to be strange to be that dominant in high school, to be really that dominant in college. Get drafted to the team with Tom Brady. Go play for Bill Belichick. But you're getting there right as everything falls apart. Right? Like, in in theory, that's the dream scenario for a college wide receiver. Oh, where are you going? I've got Patriots. <laughs> Go play. Maybe a first-round pick. I'm going to catch passes from Tom Brady, and I'm going to play for the Patriots. Oh, okay, so you're going to be in the playoffs every year, and you've got a quarterback that's going to absolutely get the most out of you. But Nikhil gets there at the wrong time, and I'm not, you know, some of this I'm sure is on him, too, but... Man, they didn't. Cam Newton could not throw the football last year, so that certainly didn't help. And the Patriots are, are obviously not the same a team right now that they were really for the last 15 years before Nikhil got there. So I, I do almost think, just from that ASU perspective of wanting to see Nikhil Harry succeed, and he's a good dude. I feel like he might actually be better off going somewhere else. I don't know that the Cardinals are going to push for him. Uh, if you heard Burns and Gambo this afternoon, Gambo pretty well shot down Nikhil Harry. He also shot down John Brown for the Cardinals. And that, I would agree with that. I mean, the Cardinals tried that. John Brown, he was resurrecting his career with Buffalo. He's just kind of a cap casualty there. But I don't know that that makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals specifically. The name that does make a lot of sense, though, is Emmanuel Sanders. They're going to have to do something at wide receiver, obviously. And if you brought in a guy like Emmanuel Sanders to be your number two guy at that position, that's a pretty steady guy. I mean, that's what you're looking for if you're the Cardinals, right? You've got DeAndre Hopkins. Even if you have Larry Fitzgerald and he's back as your three, or you know, if you have a 3A and a 3B, you're not looking for a number two guy that's like, oh, big upside, but also could tank. You want a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. It's like, yeah, he's he's going to get you 800, 900 yards. He's going to get in the end zone a few times. You know what you have in Emmanuel Sanders. Showed a lot of promise with the Steelers his first four years. Was great in Denver from 2014 to 2019. I mean, he was, he was injured the last few years. Didn't play as much, but he had 3,000-yard seasons in there. He's never had the double-digit touchdown season. But he's had nine. You know, he's, he's gotten up there a few times. Uh, San Francisco, in the 2019 season, he was a big a big acquisition for them midseason, too. And you don't typically see a receiver switch teams midseason and be a, a weapon the way he was for the 49ers. And last year, it was kind of up and down with the Saints. I mean, they obviously were moving around uh, at quarterback a little bit, and, and they're, not, uh, they're not sure what they're going to do at quarterback this season. I just think a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, whether it's him, or it's somebody that, that is a very similar mold. That's the sort of player I want the Cardinals to get as their number two receiver. Now, look, unless you want to draft Jalen Waddell or if Devontae Smith somehow falls to you at 16, okay, I'll take the guy that has just upside through the roof in that scenario. 
And, and I get that, like, Odell Beckham Jr. should be better than Emmanuel Sanders. But for what the Cardinals are looking for, a guy like Sanders makes a lot more sense because, A, he's not going to cost what Odell costs. And, B, I just think he's steady. I think he's more steady than Odell. Odell could have some monster season. Or he could be a monster all season if he's not getting the ball enough or he gets hurt or whatever. Whereas, like, Sanders is pretty consistent. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it's if it's him, if it's somebody else. But there are going to be names like that out there. And, uh, and that's already a name that is out there. Uh, over to the Phoenix Suns. Second half of the season in the NBA is actually beginning tonight. There's a couple games. But for the Suns in particular, it begins tomorrow against Portland. James Jones on with Burns and Gambo this afternoon gave us the update we were all waiting for on Devin Booker. Devin should be fine. You know, he had a good good couple of days here. Had a good day today before the team took off to Portland. So, I mean, I'd expect him to be ready to rock tomorrow. And, you know, he is, as well as the other guys, they, they've enjoyed this break, just trying to get a little bit healthier and, and get set for the second half of the season. Yeah, and an update on Cam Johnson as well. Remember, he went into health and safety protocols right before the All-Star break. You know, we're, we're pretty much healthy. You know, Cam Johnson is out uh, health and safety protocols, but outside of that, uh, we're good. Okay, so he's he's the only one at this point that you would that you would say is out. Everybody else should be good to go when you start the season tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, Suns 24 and 11. I know I've made this point before, but they haven't played a game in a while, and I just I love the stat. I really do. 24 wins in their first 35 games. It took them 58 games last year. They didn't even win 24 games the year before that or the year before that. So just huge improvement. I said on the show last night, you know, barring injury, and you can say that for any team, I think there's a very real path where this team makes the Western Conference Finals this year. I really, I do. I really, I think they're going to do it. Uh, but we, you know, you got to see how they come out of the break. They were, they went into the break so hot, sixteen and three in their last nineteen. Obviously, a big step though is getting Devin Booker back, and it sounds like he should be good to go tomorrow against Portland. Hockey Coyotes in action tonight, uh, starting just about now in Colorado against the Avalanche, a team they just managed to beat on Monday night. And it was kind of crazy that they won that game because they lost Darcy Kemper in the middle of the third period. Auntie Ranta steps in in a tie game 2-2. Coyotes end up getting outshot in that game 35-14. Colorado's got arguably the most firepower in the league. I mean, I guess you put them right there. Maybe maybe a notch below Tampa in that respect. I don't even know about that, honestly. They, they're pretty close to Tampa, who just won the Stanley Cup last year. In terms of, of offensive ability... And yet the Coyotes win that game. Ronta comes in, stops all 16 shots he faces. They're going to have to lean on Antti Ranta for a little while now. Uh, no definitive timetable for Darcy Kemper, but obviously not playing tonight. It's a big stretch for the Coyotes coming up. We're approaching the halfway point of the season for them. Remember, it's only 56 games in the NHL. They come in tonight 12-10-3, very much in the playoff hunt. If they win tonight, they jump over Colorado for fourth in the West, uh, the Honda West Division, I guess is the official terminology. And top four from each division make it. Trying to run down Minnesota so they could feasibly be tied for third if they win tonight. But this stretch coming up. Colorado tonight, three straight against Minnesota Friday, Sunday, Tuesday. And you're going to have to do it without Darcy Kemper. So this is a real test for this team. Those Minnesota games are arguably the most important ones of the season. You've got eight of them. And right now they're one and one against the Wild. Because for the most part, you would expect Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis all make the playoffs. And so then it's either the Coyotes, Minnesota, or maybe even L.A. 
that is the fourth team in from that division. So this is a big stretch. The Coyotes have won two in a row. They've beaten every team in the division. Throughout the stat the other night, they have, in their most recent game against each team in the division, they've beaten everybody except Vegas. So the seven teams in their division, they are 6-1 and one in their most recent game against each team. And um, they'll try and try and build on what they did on Monday night against Colorado. And baseball, D-backs taking on the Dodgers tonight as we inch closer towards opening day on April 1st. All right, we come back. We are going to hear from Demora Smith, who was on with Doug and Wolf this morning. Get some insight on what's next for the NFL from the players' perspective. This is such an odd time in every sport. The NFL was the one sport that made it through a full season so far here in the U.S. And uh, we'll get his thoughts next. You're listening to The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. We're back. Luke Lipinski here with you on this fine Wednesday evening. We've got spring training going on. We've got conference championships going on. Basketball, March Madness set to start next week. Obviously, the NBA getting going again tonight. Suns will be back at it tomorrow. Coyotes playing tonight. Everything, you know, we got NFL free agency coming up. March is certainly one of the two best sports months on the calendar, uh, but it wasn't that way last year. And we don't have a show tomorrow. Tomorrow, of course, is March 11th. So I'm sure a lot of the shows are going to be talking about the day that sports went on pause last year. Uh, it's a day that I know I'm never going to forget. This is this is our chance to talk about it on the show. I'm sure most sports fans remember where they were the night of March 11th, and I know a lot of the a lot of the sports really got paused or shut down or whatever you want to call it uh, on March 12th. But the NBA on the evening of March 11th was really the one that signified, all right, you know, we're we're going to be going without sports here for a little bit. This is a potentially scary time. And this is a year ago, but as far as me remembering where I was, I was in this exact seat. And it was one of the most and not one of. <laughs> let's 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 uh, let's be clear here. It was the most surreal moment of my radio career to be in this seat. I mean, I remember that night vividly. I remember even now in retrospect the days leading up to that night. I remember on March 10th being at a D-back spring training game. Never leave those games. I'd never leave any sporting event early. Left it early because I had to get to the station. I was working on something for, for this show. So that was March 10th. So the last sporting event I went to before everything got shut down, I left early. I remember March 9th, Coyotes playing in Winnipeg, losing. And I just, I certainly remember March 11th walking in here, Burns and Gambo were wrapping up their show, and they were like, hey, you can probably take that show sheet that you have put together, you can just throw that out, because something's going on in the uh, Utah-Oklahoma City game tonight. And that was just, it was a crazy night. I remember, I remember pretty much every host at this station calling in to just kind of talk about their raw initial feelings and reaction that night and I, I greatly appreciated it. I mean I I love doing this show solo with a producer. I I love I love how this show uh works, but that particular night, like I just wanted to talk about sports with other people who wanted to talk about sports. And I I distinctly remember Washington State, Colorado was on one of the TVs here in the studio. And Vince Murata at one point came in in the second hour. And I remember looking at Vince and being like, man, I don't care about Washington State, Colorado. 
but I don't want this game to end because I don't know when we're going to get to watch sports again. So I say all this, you know, I, I, it wasn't a fun night. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to relive the last year. But I do think tomorrow in particular, if you're a sports fan in this country or, you know, really any country, I mean, but specifically in the U.S., that was the night it really things started to hit home for sports fans because the NBA moved so swiftly. You had guys running out on the court. I remember trainers running out on the court in the Utah-Oklahoma City game. And, you know, at the time, information moving so quickly, and you don't know 100% what's true or not. And I just remember Shams Sharania tweeting out, you know, Rudy Gobert has tested positive for the coronavirus. And it it just chaos. You know, we're okay, we're going to cancel this game. I remember Sacramento, New Orleans was set to start, and they ended up canceling that game. And then it didn't take long for Adam Silver to be like, you know what, we're just postponing the season for now. And that's just unheard of. I mean, I'd never really experienced anything like that where a a major professional sport in the U.S. is like, yeah, we're on hold. I remember the story walking into work that day was, are there going to be restrictions on how many fans can be at some games? And even that was a big deal. I remember talking with people in the newsroom about like, how much of the show tonight do I really want to talk about that? And how much do I want to focus on, you know, just real sports? I mean, this show, this station, this is sports are supposed to be an escape. And then for what felt like years and ended up being, what, like four months? When we really needed a distraction most, we didn't get to have sports? I mean, you start to think back over the stuff over the last year, just through the, the lens of sports. I've never watched golf so intently as I did when Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning were playing. And just those four on a course, nobody else around. But it was sports and it was on TV. So it is, it's just crazy to look back now. I remember I came in the next day, so that was March 12th, and that's when the NCAA said, okay, March Madness is off. And uh, in the NHL, I remember the Coyotes were supposed to have a game that night against Vancouver. I was going to do the previews on the uh, on the scoreboard. And uh, I remember them calling and be like, yeah, you're not doing those previews tonight because there's not going to be a game. And uh, you just you think back now to how things have played out over the last year and things are, you know, they're heading in the right direction now. I made this point last night and they've been heading in the right direction for a while when it comes to sports. But, you know, there's a good chance here in the Valley that the Phoenix Suns are not just going to make the playoffs, but they're going to be a very competitive team in the playoffs. They're probably going to be a high seed in the Western Conference, and there's a good chance that we're going to be able to get more fans back at games by this summer, you know, if everything keeps going in the right direction, as it has been now for a little bit. So I mean, talk about just the, the, the impact. Get to go back to sporting events where there are fans, and one of the first ones that a lot of people are going to get to go back to, potentially here in the Valley, is the Phoenix Suns being in the playoffs for the first time in a decade. So that's that's why it's you know it's been a brutal year. I I don't want to sit here and say, well, sports are the only thing that matters. No, I mean in the grand scheme of things, sports were minimalized in a lot of ways. But at the same time, I also have a greater appreciation for being able to go to a game and to be able to sit here and talk with you guys about sports and just and just all that stuff. The 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 distraction it provides, but also like I remember when baseball came back. Doing the shows, filling in with uh, with with Vince, and just being like, you know what? It's it's great to be able to talk about baseball because it gives you the escape of like, oh, this is just that the Diamondbacks lost. This is terrible. I'm going to be miserable for the next hour. But deep down, it doesn't really matter. But also, it kind of does matter. You know what I mean? 
it matters the way things should matter. Like, it's a big deal, but, you know, you turn the page and, and you move on. You play another baseball game the next day. And I remember having a lot of conversations with people inside this building and outside of this building about how good it would be just for the morale of sports fans in America if the NFL could somehow play a full season. And they did. And, you know, I know the NFL is proud of it. I know a lot of people look at certain stretches where they're like, okay, why, why is Baltimore playing at like 2 in the afternoon against Pittsburgh, a game that was supposed to be played six days ago, and now they're playing on a Wednesday at 2. But um, look, the NFL made it through. The, uh, the NHL and the NBA, their, their performance in the bubble last summer, just remarkable. I mean, it was, it was so huge to get the Suns back and they have them go 8-0 in the bubble. Have the Coyotes back and they take out Nashville and they officially make the playoffs. We basically got to see the Coyotes play two playoff series in a bubble. And I know that I'm, I'm fortunate because just by the nature of this job, you know, I've, I've been to a good chunk of sporting events in the last year. I know most people haven't. And, and, and it's not like I didn't appreciate them before. It's not like March 10th of 2020, I was like, oh, sports, whatever. And like, no, you get into this, this business because you love sports and you're willing to make it your whole life. But man, you, you hit even just a couple months off, April, May, June. I mean, for me, I was working in news. That's not something I ever expected to do. And then you come back and, 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 and baseball's going and football's getting going. And, and like I said, the bubble is obviously for, for the NBA and the NHL. You know, one of the things that has really stood out to me, too, with all of the just randomness. And, and you know, a team might just miss a week. Or, you know, <laughs> that, that first night, Rudy Gobert is like, well, he tested positive. Well, now here we are a year later. He was just playing the All-Star game a couple days ago. You know, Utah's got the best record in the NBA. But one of the things that really stood out over the last year, you look at the teams that won championships. I don't like the Dodgers. I don't like the Lakers. They were the best teams in their sport over the last year. Or, you know, if they weren't the best, if you don't think they were the best, they were one of the top two or three. Hockey, Tampa Bay wins the Stanley Cup. They're the best team in the NHL. They've, they've been knocking on that door for a while. Football, I mean, we get Kansas City and Tampa in the Super Bowl. We get Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. It's just, it was interesting to me how through all that, we still are, we were able to crown champions in each of the, the, the major sports, and none of them felt like a fluke. Like, I know we're all going to say the Dodgers was a fluke. It was only a 60-game season just because we don't like the Dodgers. But it's not like some team made the playoffs because they made it on like winning percentage because they didn't get to play as many games as, as other teams. And then, you know, they played a team in the finals that was missing half their team because of COVID. Like, no, it was none of that. We got legitimate champions in every sport. It just, like I said, sports are not the biggest deal in the world, but they are a huge deal to a lot of us. And in some ways, yes, over the last year, they were minimalized, but also, man, in a lot of ways over the last year, it really reinforced how important they are for all of us. And um, yeah, it was, it, I think it showed a lot of, it was very symbolic of our collective resilience as people in this country that we were able to, you know, to get to the point where we are right now. This is not the point we want to be at, but man, March 10th of, uh, of 2021, again, I'm just looking through the, the lens of sports for the most part here. A lot more optimistic than I was walking out of this building on March 11th, 2020. I think nobody nobody knew what was going on. Like I said, I'm sure you're going to hear a lot of stories like this over the next couple of days because it really hit March 11th. This is March 10th. 
and then things uh, you started to see the ripple effect with the NCAA and the NHL and everybody on on March twelfth. We don't have a show tomorrow though, so this this felt like uh, the best time to just kind of to 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 rehash that and kind of go through it. And um, yeah, I mean it's it is uh, it was surreal. Certainly an experience being on the air that I'll never forget, and um, not one I ever need to have again. <laughs> I'm good. Let's 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 uh, let's keep pushing back towards normalcy. All right, we come back. We'll wrap up the show. Mark Grace was on with Bickley and Murata this afternoon. We'll get some of his thoughts on the upcoming MLB season. That's next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.